Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulletproof Podcast. It is my mission to help you achieve the things that you want to achieve in life through the sharing of some journeys of some really unbelievably inspirational people, from property investors to elite sportsmen and to everyone else in between. Well, today I've got a very, very, very special guest. Today we're going to hear from my friend Sam Flores, who lives out in Florida in the States. I'm not going to introduce the guy other than to tell you that this is probably the, one of the most inspirational stories that I've ever heard in my entire life. Sam's been in witness protection. He has endured being shot, stabbed, murder, dealing drugs, you name it, Sam's been involved with it. And he's managed to take that from there, take his life from there, up to building multiple seven-figure businesses. I'm going to hear from him in some detail this afternoon. Okay, record. okay Sam, we are recording. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sam. So, Sam, for those that, for those that don't know, uh, I met Sam on a... Uh, on a was it a speaking course, Sam? I can't even remember what he was there for. I think I think it was speaking or... Uh, no, no, no. It was... Uh, oh, my goodness. It was uh, something with uh, Christian Simpson on. We were doing it with, with Mindset. Uh, the, uh, the Zero to Millionaire. Zero to uh, Million, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Zero to a Million training down at London Heathrow, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. With Christian, yeah. It was a great, great event. And, uh, you know... And that, that created this uh, this meeting that we're here today. You know, that was over, over a year ago now. And, uh, you know, we, we've followed one another now on, on social media and kept kept, uh, kept abreast of each other and what we were up to. And uh, like I said, when we met at that event, Sam, your, your, your pitch that uh, you did from, not pitch, your, your story that you did from, from Christian's stage was so inspiring that I, I just felt the need to 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 share that with with my audience, and uh, I'm going. I'm not going to steal any of your thunder at all, mate. You you introduce yourself, mate. Who who is Sam Flores? <laughs> well, well, let me tell you though. First off, when Paul and I met at this thing, um, it was my first time in the UK. Since then, I've been there a couple of times, but. Um, when we met under this other guy, his name was Christian Simpson. He's been a mentor of mine now for about two and a half years. Uh, it, it was crazy because my background, for those of you that don't know who I am, and, and most of you probably will not, is I've been a professional bodyguard. I'm a protection specialist. I've been doing this now for over 30 years. Um, I actually retired from this industry um, almost 15 years ago. Um, I'm one of a handful of guys that I know that have kept a small business Never had more than 12 employees, but I was able to sell my businesses um, because I had two. I had one here in the States, uh, in the U.S., in California, and I had one in Lima, Peru. Um, and I sold both of those for seven figures each. Uh, <clears throat> but what happened was the reason why I sold it was I got shot and um, my wife decided, hey, no more. We don't need to be doing this. Uh, you're, you're not as young as you used to be. Now I was 35 when I got shot for the last time. Um, and so we were fortunate that an opportunity came by. Somebody uh, from uh, Sweden came over and was interested in buying it, bought my companies out. Um, I made quite a bit. Then over the years, I, I, I floundered. So what ended up happening through all of this and how I met Christian was 
I just didn't know what to do. And now I'm starting to work just back in bodyguarding again. And the principle that I learned with, with Christian is what helped me started doubling my money almost every year since I've met him. Um, and he asked me to come to the UK last year. And I spoke, gave, the te- gave my, my background, which is what I'm about to do here. And that's how I met Paul. So I want you to know, when I first met Paul, I was like, man, if, if I could have trained this guy up, I said, I, I would like this guy's bodyguard. This was before I knew what he was doing in construction or anything else. Yeah. I said, I could tell this guy is a no-nonsense, hard-hitting kind of worker. And uh, <laughs> I said, this is the kind of guy I want. And then now to find out just the kind of work that he does do, it's, it's, it's very, not just practical, but man, so detailed in the things that you have to do. Um, and, and your ability to teach other people has just been amazing uh, to watch over the, the course of this past year now, Paul. Um, but my background, guys, just so you know, uh, it, it was crazy because I, you know, I, I, I've shared this more and more often nowadays because I'm now finally getting the confidence, believe it or not, to tell people some of what had happened when I was growing up. Um, I started running drugs uh, when I was a child. Um, I was about 10 years old, between eight and 10. I started meeting some people um, as, a, as a little kid. You know, These teenagers were paying me $10, $20 to run this paper bag to different places across town. So me and my brother or me and my friends would just get on my bi- our bicycles and we'd ride across town. Now, I'm originally from California. Um, I lived... Uh, uh, in a town called Fresno, which is a fairly large town. Um, but between that and then driving back and forth to East LA, we were running drugs everywhere. By the time I was 14, um, I had my own group of guys. I don't call them a gang because we didn't call ourselves a gang. Um, I was just running these guys. At that point, I already had uh, a black belt in karate. I was beating up anybody that got in my way. Um, by the time I was 17, I had almost 200 people working for me running drugs and selling drugs. And my specialties were in dealing with private schools, colleges and universities, and selling at public schools. Um, But in this entire time, it wasn't like my parents were blind to things. My dad, um, my dad is a Christian, and he used to pray for me a lot. And one of the things that used to bother me about my father doing that kind of thing was I always thought, oh, so being a Christian man, you always have to be broke. You're always poor. My dad was always giving away our stuff um, because he was new as a Christian and was enthusiastic. So he'd invite homeless people to come stay with us. And, and I kept thinking, why are you doing that? And that was the whole reason why I got into the drug running business um, as a child. Was I'm just like, I've got to show my dad how you make money. And I just remember just hating him. Um, just for his giving nature, because it seemed like we were always last place. Um, now, over the years, uh, we've come to, to an understanding. I love my dad now. My dad's one of my heroes. Um, but in the growing up process, I just could not stand it. And so my dad had a couple of friends. One was a, uh, a highway patrol captain, in, uh, like a state trooper in California, who would talk with me on occasion. Um, and his other friend as well would both of these gentlemen, he was a, the other one was a, a police officer, but between the two of them, they would come and try to talk me out of what I was doing. And it got to a point one day where when I was 17, my, um, my dad's, uh, 
captain friend uh, came over to our home and he wanted to talk in private with me and he had a folder with him. And as we were talking, he put this folder down. He said, Sam, I just want you to know the police are not blind to what you're doing. They know you, they know who you are. They know what you're doing. Um, they know the kind of person you are. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You, you guys have nothing on me. If you had something on me, you guys would have arrested me or talked to me long before this. And he's like, no. So he starts opening this folder, different people that were saying things against me, but there was no proof. And none of these witnesses would come forward. Um, I, I was just such a mean person and a hate-filled person um, in my teen years that I was the kind of guy, I, my nickname back then was Smiley, because the only time I smiled was when I was going to do something to you, and it wasn't something nice. Um, a couple of times I had people steal from me, and if I had to get involved, I made sure that you were not going to screw me over again. I'd come in, and I would shoot somebody in the kneecap the first time, and then I would ask the question. And, and my guys used to ask me, in the beginning, why do you, why do you cut them or shoot them first before you ask the question? I said, because I want to make sure that all of you know that if I get involved, I'm, I'm a believer in a scorched earth approach. I will burn all of this to the ground if I have to, to make sure that you guys know that I mean business. And so my reputation got around because that was when I enjoyed myself. I used to, I used to get that kind of a smile because I knew exactly <laughs> what I was going to do. Yeah. I was just, and I was so mean and good about it. And I think about the kind of person I was. And I'm definitely not that way now. Now you wouldn't know it. Mm. Um, but at that point, something was going on in my family. My dad and I, at 17, we were having more and more arguments. Um, and I remember one day we, we got to a really, really bad argument one night. And, and I left the house uh didn't run away i just left the house went to a, a, a gym um a dojo that i was a part owner in and um just worked out for a couple of hours uh just doing some katas now just so you understand i now know 13 styles of martial arts i have black belts in four of those styles i have been training in martial arts since i was eight years old and i, I to this day i still practice martial arts but i was so intense into it um that when I came home that night after that argument, my brother, who you understand, my brother at the time was already three inches taller than I am and was about, I would say, almost 15 to 20 kilos uh, larger than I am. Now he's like 70 kilos. I, he's, just, he's just a big old tall monster. He looks like a bear. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, he came and tried to scare me when I was coming home that night. I didn't think anything about it. I turned... And I grabbed his face and I pulled on his cheek. And what ended up happening because of that, as a result, I ended up pulling his eyeball out about a centimeter and we had to run him to the hospital. And it just opened my eyes or not really opened my eyes. It did something to me because I, I did feel bad. Um, my having done that actually caused a rift between he and I, where we didn't talk for almost a decade. Um, but I remember coming back from the hospital, um, with my family and my dad started screaming and yelling at me again. And I remember just thinking, this is it. I'm, I'm sick and tired of this. And my dad had told me, you know what? He goes, I, I want you to know something. You know, you think you're a man, you're a man. You think you're man enough now? 
I've never kept that front door closed to you ever because I know what you've done. I know what you are. I know who you, how bad you think you are, but I want you to know this. And I never forgot his words. He said, I want you to go out. And if you think you're man enough, just go ahead and leave. So I went and packed my clothes, packed my bags. I was ready to leave. And then he stopped me and he said, Sam. And I turned around and said, what do you want? And he said, uh, and I'll never forget this. He said, I'll never want you to go out that front door and never think that your father didn't love you because I love you. And I don't know what it was. You know, I figured as a, as a Christian growing up, you know, my dad had to say that because he's a Christian, you know, tell your kids you love them. Cause I never thought he did. Uh, but at the time I remember just, <clears throat> excuse me, to this day, it still gets me when I share the story. Um, mm. Because something happened in me. It, it broke me down. And, and I remember turning around and looking at him. And, and I got down on my knees. And I just started crying. And I, and, and I wasn't a crying kind of guy. I didn't have that reputation at all. I remember just breaking down and going, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change. I don't want to be this guy. And I remember the back of my mind thinking, I've never said this. I, did I really mean that? but I just knew something needed to change. And my dad kept telling me, you, you just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. You just need to change. And, um, it took me a while, you know, probably another week or so went by. I went to church and it wasn't like I was one of those types that just went to church uh, just for the religion's sake. I went because, you know, I wanted to make my parents happy, but um, so the arguments wouldn't happen as often. But that, that week, something took place and I decided, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I, I need to get out of this. Um, and I talked with my dad. I, I didn't know what to do. Talk with uh, his uh, detective friend and with that uh, with the uh, high patrol captain. So we worked out something where I went to the assistant DA in Los Angeles and I turned myself in. Well, unfortunately, they didn't believe me. I I don't know why. I mean I. I had stuff. I mean, I had evidence with me, times, dates. I started telling them, and the guy, the guy thought, and this is what, what they told me, was that you're a minor. And if we try to prosecute you now for things that we've already got people in prison for, um, it's just not going to work out. But it's just not just don't do that anymore. That was what I got was a stern reprimand after three days of coming back and forth to their office. And I still feel bad because I could say, well, that, that's nothing. I haven't, I haven't changed. I haven't, I haven't paid my dues. So we went back to my hometown, Fresno, and did the same thing there. And the DA there um, asked me if I'd be willing to turn state's evidence against my bosses. Now, my bosses were pretty bad guys. Uh, some of the top tier guys in uh, the drug cartels at the time in, in California. And I was willing to do that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm willing to go to jail. I'm willing to pay my dues, pay my time, you know, pay my debt to society. So I went and um, within a couple of days, well, actually within a couple of days, the very next day, they asked me to come back in um, to give all the evidence that I could, write some affidavits out. And when I came in the next morning for this meeting, I, I told my parents goodbye they can just buy, I'll see you later on this afternoon. That's what was going on in my mind. 
but that was the last time I would see my folks for seven days, for seven years, sorry. Um, <clears throat> when I showed up for the meeting, I had all these uh, three-letter acronym groups coming in from the DEA, the ATF, uh, the FBI, all wanting a piece of me to turn evidence over to them. So they put me in the witness protection program, and I did see my parents for the next seven years, or my family. Um, so it was, it was pretty hard yeah, yeah. Um, for the longest time because, you know, at this point, I had the world in my hand. I had plenty of money, but they don't, give, they don't let you take any of that stuff with you. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, it was, it was pretty hard to, in the beginning. Um, one of the things that did help was I eventually met some guys uh, who had an executive protection company. And in the course of that time, that first year, because my when I turned 18, the State Department gave me a license that said I was three years older than I was. So it said I was 21 years of age, even though I was only 18, because I looked it, because I w looked like some hardened thug um, at the time. And, and that's how I got into the executive protection part and just started changing my life. Because there I was a few months earlier, you know, um, this stone cold, stupid ass thug. Um, drug dealer to now being the kind of guy that wants to protect people. Well, I, I didn't know any of that. So I, I tried learning. Um, the guys that I learned from, several of them were uh, ex-Massad agents um, from Israel. And they, I was in a whole different state, whole other part of the country where no one ever thought I would be. And just started learning from these guys on how to be a protector, uh, how to learn to better defend myself. Uh, so what ended up happening was over the course of the next seven plus years, um, I ended up going all over the place, um, mostly in the States because my handler wouldn't let me out. But in the end of the 13 people that we put away, only four of them actually got jail time. Um, the other nine were killed um, doing what they were doing. Um, I had three contracts out of my life. Uh, it was pretty scary for, for a few years there. Yeah. But it, but, it, but it all changed. You know, it, it seemed like now when I look back, like in a heartbeat. But what ended up getting me through most of that time was thinking, what would my mom and dad do? What would my dad do? I'd come across a situation, and it was my first time on my own. You know, I thought I knew everything, but, but now I'm literally on my own now. And having to ask myself, well, what would my father do? You know, what would my mom do? Yeah, yeah. And realize now man, what incredibly smart people my, my parents were i didn't realize my dad had been trying to train me for years and teach me things but the more i, I went back thinking on certain conversations we had then i'd be like oh so that's what he meant oh that's what he meant when it comes to talking to somebody or this is what he meant in in how to deal with business or why it's important to smile or why it's important to to be kind um and i thought man that's just uh that's just pretty interesting. So when I finally saw my father um, years ago, uh, when I first got out, uh, he was the one that actually helped me get my name back. Because what I didn't know is that after you've already given your testimony, after everything's settled, um, if you've been in the system for more than four years, you're technically dead. <laughs> they didn't help me get my real name back. I was this whole other person. Um, for all these years, and they didn't help me. I had to fight for over a year to get my real name back, um, which is Sam Flores. Yeah. And just just realizing 
this whole time, I remember when I when I finally saw my parents and my mom just bawling her eyeballs out, thinking, God, we thought you were dead this whole time. And, and uh, I remember, uh, you know, talking with, with my dad, and I'm like, how did you do it? How did you do it all those years? And he's like, I always had faith in you. I knew you could always be more than you thought you were. He goes, I knew you weren't a killer. Because despite you wanted to be that way, I knew you weren't, you know, a drug dealer, despite you're trying to make money. He goes, man, you've always had all those abilities to make money, to find opportunity. Um, but those weren't you. Now, it took another three years before I was finally able to reconcile myself with my brother. Um, and now I love my brother to death. I know in the back of his mind, it still bothers him because we don't talk a whole lot. Uh, I mean, every, every year we probably have maybe four or five phone conversations a year just because he's a very quiet person now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it, it took a long time to overcome that with him. So what's come of this throughout the years now, after I've had the, the bodyguard company, I lived in South America uh, for 11 years. I've traveled the world numerous times, um, bodyguarding celebrities and things was, now I'm an encourager. So what I do as part of my business is, it's three, a three tier kind of thing. One is I, I provide motivation. Um, I love to encourage people, help them smile. Second is mindset, to help them realize they can overcome where they're at. I mean, I have dealt with so many tough guys, tough guys, guys that would have no problem trying to take on three or more people in a fight. You know, guys that have got multiple black belts, I, I, military guys. I mean, I've, I've dealt with Navy SEALs. I'm dealing with Green Berets, with Rangers here. And yet they're afraid to share their emotions. Yeah. They're afraid to share their feelings. Or sometimes these guys who are so qualified are just afraid to share their story of how they overcame. Mm. You know, they were, they were so used to being yelled at going up through the military that that's what they want to do. They just want to yell. I'm like, you know, you can't do that to your kids. <laughs> that will never motivate your kids to get better just yelling at them because that's what I thought my dad did. And what I realized growing up now, in my 30s, I realized my dad just did not know how to talk to me. That's the problem. He just didn't know how to communicate with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then in my 40s, it hit me. Okay, now I get it under even better. I just didn't know how to listen to my dad either. Because as a kid, I thought I knew it. I was making way more money than my parents. So just the ability to make money, I thought it was better. But it wasn't just that. Now, you know, I've just recently turned 50 here in the last couple of months. And, you know, you reevaluate these things. And I, and I realized, you know, I was right as a teen. I did know everything. I was smarter than my parents. <laughs> I, I had all the answers. The problem was I had all the answers to the wrong questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know all the questions and things I thought I knew, right, Paul? You know, growing up, we we think we know better, yeah. <laughs> but so that's what happened. Now in my twenties, you know, I had to ask a whole different set of questions being a witness protection. Um, so it was through that that I realized, okay, my parents did have some life skills; they did have some things to know how. And so that's where getting that mindset to overcome obstacles and problems first started. Now. In my 30s, when I got shot, I've been shot three times, guys, just so you know, taking care of different clients. Um, I've been stabbed seven times. I've been in over 100 fights in my life. I've been hospitalized six times for those uh, fights, uh, almost died on the operating table four different times. Um, and through it all, I, I've managed to survive. And what's happened in the years since, 
the last time I was shot, and, and I'm, I'm gonna stop with this part. When I was shot in uh, 2005, um, <clears throat> my son, my oldest son, was just uh, a few months old. And I was hospitalized in Argentina. Um, the clients I were with, we were just, I was just traveling with them. And then they were at a big music festival um, down in, in, in Argentina at the time. And fortunately, there were a few American doctors moonlighting or, or you know, doing side work in Argentina. And they managed to save my life. I got shot in my gut. I had uh, 12 inches of my large intestine taken out um, because of what had happened um, and that altercation. I actually stopped the guy physically with my hands, but he managed to get a shot off and, and, and just hit the sides uh, of my abdomen and my gut there. But while I was in the hospital for the six weeks that I was recuperating, my wife brought me a book. And, and this is what started my journey on, on leadership focusing on, on getting that mindset and looking for opportunities. And the book was, was an older book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Now, now I, I was the kind of guy who talked a lot and I would smile some, but I didn't know how to make genuine friends very well. I mean, my circle of influence had always been very small because I tend to be a little rough at the time. I would rub some people wrong. Like after a year or two of them getting to know me better, I'd rub them wrong. But in the hospital, reading that book over and over and over, I probably read it like four times while I was in there. It taught me the value of friendships. It taught me how to be a little more genuine. Um, because sometimes you're genuine the way you are. You know, if all you want to do is just drink and cuss and party, uh, yeah, that's a genuine you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it might not necessarily get to the influence of the friends that you're looking for. Um, it may not win your kids more to you. Or if you're single, you know, it may not attract the kind of woman you want. I mean, you, you've probably seen some of these ladies and some of these guys go, I don't know why I can't ever find the right one. Or why I can't find, you know, someone who's faithful to me. Or can't find somebody that, that I get along with. Well, did you look in the mirror? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you, did you ask yourself, you know, do I want someone who drinks as much as I do, cusses at me as much as I do at them? Um, who blows their money <laughs> as much as I do. I don't understand why my girlfriend spends all my money. Well, first off, what do you do with your money? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so in learning these things, it helped. Um, so when I got out and we came back to the U.S., I started looking for mentors. Um, I know like what Paul does in, in his building academy that he's doing, that's basically what's coming across. It's not just an instructor teaching you someone. I know some of you are coming back for the next one um, that he's doing. You, you found yourself a mentor, someone who's not, and this is what I like about Paul is Paul's not there to hold your hand. He's there to walk you step by step like a good mentor does, but he's there showing you what's been done and then expecting you to do that. It's let me show you, then you watch me, then it's let's work together just on a small project here, then it's you do it now, watch you. And then it's like, okay, go off and share the same thing with other people and help them out. That's what a great mentor does. And the thing is, is not everyone has the ability to mentor somebody. And that's what I ended up finding. I mean, I would get books. I would go to a seminar once every few years because I thought, well, I'm smart enough to figure this out. And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand why I was blowing through my money. Um, like I said, when I sold those companies, I, I, you know, I was already a multimillionaire at that point in 
two and a half, almost three years, and it's embarrassing to say, but I blew through two-thirds of that money, just lost it because I thought I knew better. Mm-hmm. When I came back to the States, it was 2006. I started getting into real estate, which I knew nothing about real estate. All I'd heard once was Robert Kiyosaki once say, you know, rich dad, poor dad. And I heard him in one talk say, you know, to make more money, you know, eventually you're going to have to get into real estate. So I jumped in with spending money. Well, I didn't realize the housing market um, was going down in 2006. The bubble had popped, but I was investing in all kinds of property. I ended up in that year um, owning 27 properties. And by the end of that year, lost almost all of them. I was doing short sales, fire sales, trying to get rid of my house. Why am I losing all this cash? Because I didn't know anything. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, it was, it, was, it was really bad. So then I thought, well, you know, it'll be safer in stocks um, and bonds. So I started putting my money into stocks and investing uh, a lot of it into that. Now, again, I did no research. I didn't go and study under somebody. I had no mentor to show me any of this stuff. And in one investment alone, I lost $1.1 million. Oh, now, at this point, my wife was letting me handle the money because I had made all this money because it was my businesses. And I kept thinking it's my money and I didn't get any input from her. Um, and when I told her about that one, because I mean, it, it, it hit me hard, you know, to lose over a million dollars in just one investment. Um, and it was because the guy I had invested in their company because I had trusted his parents. Um, and I knew that what I didn't realize was in the, in the year and a half that I had invested my money, the parents decided to retire and let their oldest son run the company. Well, he started cooking the books. He had a really bad gambling problem. Now I didn't know any of this stuff because again, not having somebody to teach me or train me or walk me through this, I didn't know enough to keep doing follow-up and check up on this guy uh, or on the company. So when it eventually came out that he was getting arrested in the country where this mining company was at um, and that he cooked the books, you know, um, yeah, it, it just really hurt. And my wife told me, she was saying, if I were investing and I lost a thousand dollars, I would be crying and say, you know, stop the insanity. <laughs> you you lost over a million dollars. How much money do we have? So she and I had a serious talk. We sat down, went over the, over the numbers, and found out that I had lost two-thirds of that money that was supposed to be in savings. Yeah. So she cried. She was upset. You know, had a hard time looking me in the face, in the eye, uh, for almost a week. But she still loved me, you know, despite me being an idiot. And now she handles our finances. It's crazy, Paul, because right now I have more money. I and and I don't worry about. It. I let her deal with that. And um, it's a strategy that I'm gonna share with other people later on how this worked out for us. Um, but between her and my accountant, we we do monthly meetings. I mean, I even though I see my wife all the time, we sit down and do a monthly meeting with our accountant and they have to dumb it down for me. So we have a set on a single page. We talk over the things and, and, and that's something that I'm going to be sharing in one of my future courses uh, here the, uh, later on this year. But it's gotten to the point where I don't worry about that, but I'm a firm believer in follow-up and I'm a firm believer in having mentors 
Um, and if it's something new I don't know, I need a coach. If I were getting into the building business um, and restoration of, of older homes, you're the kind of guy I would definitely be following because you've got the expertise in that. And that's how I met Christian. That's how I met John Maxwell because I, I now I'm a leadership teacher as well um, and a team builder. But with Christian, it was the mindset that I needed. And now because of the mindset, money has been finding its way to me because the agreement my wife and I made, just so you know, guys, I don't just blow my money. The agreement was I could not touch any of that money anymore until I'm 55. So, <laughs> so any, any work that I actually do um, physically, uh, that's my money because my wife pays our monthly bills out of the interest um, from the money that, that we'd saved up. So she doesn't have to worry. And my wife is not a homebody. My wife enjoys work. She works at a clinic now and, and it's because she enjoys it. But all of this had to take place where I had to have somebody give me a swift kick in the butt. Yeah, yeah. And, and somebody confront me in a positive way saying, you cannot keep going the way you're going. And I know some of you guys are going to be listening to this or wondering, well, you know, I've gone 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, and I look back on my life and I have nothing to show for it or very little except life experience. I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, your life experience is, is invaluable. 100%. Because the moment you decide I'm going to do something positive with this, yeah. You know, well, what can I do with, you know, if, if I was a thug, you know, a drug dealer, how do you turn that into a positive? I share people how I got out of it, Yeah. you know, and then what some of the steps were to making something positive um, on that. Uh, one of the quotes that I read uh, from a general, uh, Sir William Sled, he was a field marshal in, in the British Army years back. But um, one of the books that I was reading actually had this quote by him on, on, uh, ad, ad, on adversity. And it says, I'm a hell of a general when I'm winning. Anybody is. But it's when you're not winning, it's then that the real test of leadership is made. So yeah. to lead myself, I had to look at what were the obstacles, what was the adversity that I faced in that time. And the positive is, what are the steps that I'm taking? What are some of the wins? And you celebrate even the small wins. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what happens is that, you know, tough times don't always last, but tough people do. Yeah. You know, this COVID thing we're going through, hey, it could go on, you know, for all we know, for another year or so. Times have changed. It, it might end tomorrow. But what have you been doing to prepare yourself for when it does open up? Or what have you been doing to prepare yourself now if this is the new norm? If this is the way it's going to be forever? Which I don't think it will. Don't quote me on that. But, but what have you been doing to learn in this downtime? Have you been investing in yourself by finding a mentor by finding someone that can help you and don't be cheap here's the thing anytime i've seen somebody say well i do want a mentor i, I know a friend who knows something but they want me to pay them well shouldn't they get paid for the knowledge they have for the expertise they have yeah and, you know i mean i'm sure you guys know somebody like this or maybe in the back of your mind well how much can i get of this premium program for free yeah yeah right? yeah <laughs> Paul, I love that you want to help people. Can you help me out for free? You don't value what you don't invest in or you don't pay for. Absolutely. I didn't value my parents' advice and counsel growing up. I didn't value the mentors or people, the courses that I went through. Yeah, I paid some money. 
but I tried to do it the cheapest way, but I didn't want to invest in somebody mentoring me. So, so my mindset was still, I'm thinking cheap, but I want a lot of money. I want to win, I want to win the, the lotto on my own terms. Well, that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't work. You know, listening to Paul, you know, and there are other great people that I know Paul knows as well. Paul and I met through, through Christian, just going through this one seminar. Um, you know, it's, you have to invest your time. And, and let me tell you out there, some of these things aren't going to work out for you. But that's part of the adversity. You know, there's, there's a, a term that's been coming out the last few years that says sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. It's yeah, only a loss if you don't try to learn from it. I've had to go back through my life, and this is how Paul heard my story, you know, of, of what an idiot I was and, and how much I hurt my family, um, but how I finally overcame that. I finally had to learn to forgive myself and then give myself permission to learn not only from my mistakes, but from my mentors who also made mistakes. And that's why they're there to help you out. So tough times. Are you man enough? Are you woman enough to say, you know what? He's right. I've made some mistakes, you know, or maybe I got burned um, by trusting another relationship. I'm still going to get back up and I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep getting better. And if you're not getting better, you've got to reevaluate that. You know, who do I know that's successful that maybe went through a similar situation? And how do I learn from them? I mean, I love when I first met Paul, you know, one of the things he shared at the table with us, you know, was how, you know, he had made some mistakes when he was younger. But that's not the Paul that I know. Yeah, I hear about the mistakes, but that's not the Paul I know. I know the Paul that's successful. I know the Paul that's a family man. I know the Paul that enjoys helping people, that, that isn't afraid to cuss at you and say, what the hell are you doing? Hey, get up and let's do yeah. work. <laughs> oh, but mistakes that's the thing, guys. I want to understand. Do that. Go, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, th these mistakes that we've made in life, they're the things that carve us, aren't they? They're the things that, that those mistakes are the thing that build the success. You know, for me, if I'd not done all the shit I did when I was younger, I wouldn't would be where yeah. I am today. That's what that's what creates you, and I'm sure you're the same. You know, if you'd not been yeah done the past that you'd had, would you be where you are today? I, I truly believe that you would. Well, you know, you think about it. The mud that you fell into is now the mistakes and getting dirty is now the same mud we use to make the bricks that are building up our life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I get up and I washed up, but I still go back to that. You know, I still go back and talk about my story. I still share my past as much as it's dirty, um, as much as it's gritty. Like, I don't talk about the people that I killed. I don't talk about the people that that, that I ended up stabbing. I mean, I know I, I uh, kind of watered down my story, but you guys have to understand, I was a very, very, very bad guy. I really, I was evil. Um, and that's part of the mud. You know, that's going through the muck. But I go back and visit that so I can make bricks out of that to help somebody else get a foundation to realize, hey, listen, this is how you do it. Your past does not define who you are today. It's going to color you. You're going to have those scars. Sometimes the past will come to haunt you. And I've had that happen multiple times. Uh, I just uh, three weeks ago, I was with my sons. We went to a gun range. Um, and there was a lady out front trying to get supporters to vote for uh for uh, Trump, and uh, I just happened to stop by the table just to see what they were offering because they had some free patches and 
stickers. My kids love stickers, you know, <laughs> doesn't matter what it is, kids love stickers. <laughs> so we, we stopped by there and this lady looked at me and she goes, I, I know you, where do I recognize you from? And I'm like, I don't know if you've been to any uh, concerts, you know, have you been down with uh, Nickelback, you've been with Shinedown, um, I've been with Seven Dust. So I started naming out some of these bands, Aerosmith, um, these are the bands I've been with lately. Uh, been Roger Daltrey from The Who, I was just with him just uh, earlier in the year. And uh, she's like, no, no, oh, you're Sam Flores. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, she must have seen me around the, the neighborhood or something around here. And she's like, no, I remember you when you lived in Atlanta. Now, I hadn't lived in Atlanta in 12 years. And the fact that she remembered me, I was like, well, how did you know me? She goes, you lived close to Snoop Dogg. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I lived, by, I lived by his manager. She goes, I know. I'm the neighbor from the other side of the house. I lived on the other side of the street across from you guys. And we talked a few times. And I'm like, what? She goes, oh, yeah. She goes, I remembered your story. I remembered you guys. She goes, I kept thinking you were just a thug. And I'm like, no, no, man, I was a completely different person. <laughs> She's like, but you kept going around and hanging out with those guys. And I said, well, right. I was trying to be an influence on them. She goes, yeah, but they were always smoking their, their marijuana, their weed. And I'm like, listen, listen. That's what they did, but that's not what I did. I was there trying to be an influence on them. I ended up bodyguarding uh, Snoop Dogg numerous times and working for them with this crew. And she's like, well, I just thought you were just a bad guy. She goes, but now I know you're not. She goes, I remember talking with your wife and changed my mind completely. Um, she goes, so what are you doing now? So I shared you know, a bit of my, my story. I've been on MTV a lot because of some of the reality shows I've been working on, um, doing security. But in the end, what influenced her was she, she saw my sons. And she said, I remember when your wife and you were talking about adopting. She goes, are, are these all your real sons? I said, no, because remember I got shot in my gut. Um, I can't have any more kids. So I've only got my one biological son. These other four are my adopted sons. Um, but I don't think of them like that. They're my kids, they're my sons. All five of the boys are my sons. And she just started crying at the table. She's like, I so wish my husband would have talked with you, would have met you. But she just, he, she said, he kept looking at you and saying, that is one scary looking guy. I don't want to mess with him. And I'm like, no, I've, I've always tried to be approachable. That's why I wear glasses, you know? You know, before, when I would get out, this is the way I always look. This part of my job, it works for me, having that serious look. But when I try to help people out, when I try to be a mentor, or some of the guys that I coach, um, you've got to be authentic, but you've also got to do it in a way that lets them know I'm approachable, which is why the glasses come on, the smile comes out, I bend my head a little bit, I smile a lot, and now it's like a Clark Kent effect. You know, yeah. people are like, well, you didn't look anything at all, or you're not anything at all like I'm talking to It's because you didn't take a risk. Yeah. You didn't ask Paul, Paul, how do I do this? Or I see Paul is just too mean. Paul's going to make me work. Why is Paul doing that to me? No. <laughs> take, take a chance. Take a chance. In every risk, there is opportunity, guys. When you get to know Paul, you will see Paul is an amazing guy. But at the same time, if you keep screwing up and keep thinking you know better, remember, you want the genuine Paul. Paul's going to be real. Paul's going to say, I don't know what the hell you think you're doing, but that's not going to happen here. You want to learn? You want to get better? This is what you do. See, now the glass, the safety glasses have to come off. And now it's like, you still want the genuine me. This is the genuine me. 
let's get to work. Yeah, I love but it. At the end of the day, hey, it's Miller time. <laughs> so that's what mindset's about, guys. If you don't know what to do or how to do it, you find someone that does. That's why Paul and I get along so well, because we still learn something from each other. We're smart guys. Absolutely. Yeah. But we know that we're smarter when we're together still. When we talk, when we share. Oh my gosh, guys. Find that mentor. Paul's a great start. If you don't know who else, ask Paul. Oh my goodness, Paul's got all this information out there. You know, send him a direct message or email him. Ask him. You know. deserves a nice bottle of scotch don't you think he deserves some premium cigars or even being taken out to a nice steak dinner it's the same with you when you share something of value don't you expect people to show the appreciation don't be cheap share your values learn from a mentor guys you know because tough times don't last tough people do and you guys are those people that are going to be able to do that love it sam absolutely love it Thanks. Love it. So, how would tell me tell tell guys if someone because I have absolutely no doubt people want to speak to you after as a result of this. How would someone get hold of you, man? Guys, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, on Instagram, it's Sam Flores seventy. That's one way to do that. Um, you can also follow me on Facebook. It's Sam R Flores um, on Facebook. Or if you want to just email me, it's very easy. It's S M. Flores, F L O R E S 70 at gmail.com. Um, I only had one person figure out why it's not Sam Flores 70. It's Superman. That's what the SM stands for. Yeah. Anybody who knows me, you'll see something on my post every day about coffee. There's something every week, a couple of times a week, dealing with Superman. I'm a huge Superman fan. I believe in this whole we have our inner hero, you know, but we're also a Clark Kent. You know, just because uh, people don't see all your successes doesn't mean you're not a hero inside and that you're not helping people that others can't see. That's why I'm a firm believer in that. Hey, reach out, guys. We've got some courses coming up. I'll be teaching on, on marketing, uh, also on mindset. And every day I post something motivational on there. If you just want to see something on there, check it out on, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I don't mind having people follow me on there, but love to have you guys be a part of that. Check out what Paul's doing as well, guys. I mean, do not be afraid to reach out and ask him, hey, what are some of the resources around here that have helped you out? You know, what other courses are you offering? Uh, who else can I find that maybe I'm not into doing um, architecture or I'm not into doing restorations, but some of the guys that I saw in your course doing this, how do I find out about them? Maybe I need a great plumber. Maybe I just need somebody else that can talk finances. How did you run your company? You know, how do you do your books? Ask someone that's been there and someone that's got a proven track record of success. And Paul is one of those guys. You, you won't miss out, I guarantee you if, you, if you just reach out and ask the right people and follow them. Fantastic, Sam. Thanks very much for your time. We are, it is Saturday today, isn't it? Yes, th thanks very much for joining us on a, on a Saturday. Absolutely fantastic. Loved it, Sam. Enjoy hey, the rest of your weekend being absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you. Now I'm about to go out and watch my boys play some American football right now. <laughs> they just left a few minutes ago. I'm going to go catch up with them.
Paul, I love you, man. Keep up the great work. Guys, keep listening in on him. Keep following his podcast. Love you guys. Have a great one. Love you, Cheers. Bye, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Paul Tinker on this Bulletproof podcast. Give us a like, share and a subscribe and we will see you next time.